You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So if you're in human resources, you probably know the name Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. Evil HR Lady. She is probably one of the most prolific HR writers in the country, although she's not in the country. She has been writing for many years, and I've been following her for many years. I try to read everything I can she puts out. I don't always get to it, but um, in any case, I've been a fan of hers for a number of years, as I mentioned. And I'm also part or at least a uh, observer of her Facebook page, which is Evil HR Lady on Facebook. And if you're in human resources and you're not on there, you should be. It's a treasure trove of questions and answers, primarily by professional HR people. In any case, um, as a fan of hers, I reached out to her not long ago and wanted to just have a chat and was able to do that earlier today, uh, which is the 4th of July, and this is going to be airing later this week. But in any case, here's Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. Evil HR Lady. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. Evil HR Lady, how are you today? I am absolutely splendid. So um, I figured it would be kind of fun to talk a little bit about how did you get into what you do? And I've been following you for years, but where did the name Evil HR Lady come from? Well, um, many, many years ago when blogging was a new baby thing that it was brand new, um, I used to follow a blogger called The Evil Editor, um, who, as far as I know, no longer exists. Um, And I was an HR person. And I, growing up, I always read every day Dear Abby, Ann Landers, and Miss Manners. I loved advice columns. And so... When this blogging thing started, I realized, hey, I can write an advice column and nobody can stop me because it's not (laughs) like the old days where you had to get a job in a newspaper. You can just do it. And I thought I need a name because I was working in pharmaceuticals, which, as you know, is a exceedingly conservative industry. And um, so I was like, well, what's a good name? And so I thought about the evil editor. What the evil editor did was answer people's questions about publishing. So I was like, okay, that really fits well for HR because when people think of HR, it's always in a negative light. I mean, think about it. If you're ever called into a meeting with your manager and you walk in the door and the HR manager is sitting there, just her presence, you know how it's going to (laughs) go. That is not a good meeting. So I thought with the reputation of HR and then stealing a bit from this evil editor that um, I would be the evil HR lady because I needed to be anonymous. And it turns out it was my best marketing move ever. And I wasn't even thinking about marketing when I did it because this was just supposed to be a fun thing that I did. Right. Well, you turned that blogging into, is it a full-time gig now? It's a full-time gig. Yeah. So, well, it's not just the writing. It's a full-time gig. Everything that I do, though, is under the Evil HR Lady umbrella, except for I also teach improv comedy classes, which is not under that umbrella. Really? That's something I didn't know about you. So... (laughs) um, now you've, well, so obviously you're at Inc. Magazine. I've seen you in other uh, publications as well. And of course, I'm on your Facebook group. And for the listeners who are not on Evil HR Lady Facebook group, if you're in HR, you should be on there because it's a, it's a fantastic group and there's a lot of questions and answers on there. It's an amazing group and I'm so proud of it. We have 21,000 members 
on there. Um, 90% of them are HR managers, and then the other 10% are people that snuck in. Um, no, we allow um, people who manage other people to come in as well because they have a lot of the same issues. I don't know how it, I got in there. <laughs> I'm not HR, but... You have connections in the right, HR world. Right. How you got in. So, um, <laughs> and that's, and the, and the page has grown very quickly, right? It's, yes. Yeah, a year ago, um, we had, um, actually less than a year ago, last, it was over Thanksgiving that for some reason we did something right and Mark Zuckerberg decided to promote us for free. And um, so in November at Thanksgiving, we had 8,000 members and now we're up to 21,000. So all thanks to Mark. So whenever... Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what we did for the algorithm because that started promoting us and started bringing in people. And then of course, then the growth was organic after that, because I mean, 8,000 was still a great group, but uh, 20,000 is uh, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's grown very quickly. It's, it's, as you said, just doubled in the last year. Yeah. So you're not actually in the States. You used to be, I mean, you're American, but I am American. Um, I intend to return to the States one day, but I live in Switzerland. How did you get there? On a plane. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Was it, was that a, um, is we, it a career move or you just? It was my um, then husband, now ex-husband's job. Um, we came over in 2009 on a two-year contract and decided to stay. And now, this is too much drama, but uh, now my options are to stay or to leave my kids and go home without them. Legally, I can't take them back to the States without his permission and he won't give them. So I am here until my youngest is 18. Okay. Well, you, I know you were just here in the States recently. I think you were doing a tour or something, right? Last summer, I did a tour with Brenda Neckbottle, um, the Winning in HR, HR tour, and it was fabulous. Um, we were in Baltimore and Dallas and Provo, Utah, and it was amazing and so much fun. And I didn't have time to do it again this summer, and Brenda didn't have time to do it again this summer. So, alas. Not so. Um, quick question about Switzerland coming out of the pandemic because I want to bring it back here to the states in a second. Um, are you seeing the turmoil? Obviously, you see the turmoil in the states just from the Facebook group and articles and that sort of thing, but are you seeing the turmoil there with the workforce that we're seeing over here? The Swiss economy is a little different than the U.S. economy. Um, Switzerland is like super, super, super stable. And of course, just like any other country that shut down during the pandemic, that was rough for a lot of people. Um, but it picked up really quickly again. Switzerland generally has incredibly low unemployment Um the problem Switzerland has is it's a tiny nation. There's 8 million people here. And there is a lot of industry here. This is, you know, banking, huge, pharmaceuticals, huge. And of course, we've got the UN as well. So you have all the non-governmental organizations. Um, and so the problem Switzerland has is hiring enough people um, from the outside because there's more work than the Swiss people can do. And it's high level work, you know, like the U S likes to import farm labor, but Switzerland imports CEOs. Interesting. So you've, you've obviously been keeping track of what's happening here in the States. With oh, the... Yeah. Yeah. I, I still write from a U.S. perspective. Right. Um, my focus is on the United States. If you wanted to ask me questions about Swiss employment law, I would just have to smile and nod and be like, yes, they have laws. Um, I mean, I know a few things, but my focus is on the U.S. So, and as the um, controller, if you will, of the Facebook group, and you see all the comments coming in and the questions coming in, it seems as though 
it's almost as though HR is experiencing, for lack of a better term, PTSD. <laughs> I think that's an accurate term. Yeah. That's... It, the, the pandemic, first of all, the whole world is suffering PTSD. Um, this, the pandemic was hard and governments made it harder. Um, you know, all the studies are coming out now to say, oh, it looks like shutdowns didn't actually help anything. Um, so that's a huge bummer. And I'm not blaming people, everybody, we hadn't faced this before. You know, we didn't know. Um, but HR had the tough end of all of it because at the beginning, businesses are shutting down. Who's the one who's laying people off? Okay, that's HR. Who's the one who is dealing with new regulations right and left? Um, for two years, I gave at least twice a month um, a webinar, and some months weekly, um, for HR people on following COVID regulations. And I had to update it every time because between two weeks, between webinars, rules would change. And, right. and so here you are, you're an HR manager and a lot of, um, a lot of people within the Evil HR Lady Facebook group are HR departments of one or HR departments of two or three. Um, you know, the huge companies, the Fortune 500 companies have whole teams that are handling all of that. But half of Americans work for small businesses. And so, and small businesses defined as under 500 people. And so those HR people are who the webinars targeted and they were doing it on their own and trying to keep up with changing regulations. And they were different in all 50 states. Yeah, that's Everybody right. Everybody had different things. And the CDC kept releasing different guidelines. I mean, at the beginning, it was absolutely positively do not wear a mask. Right. And people forget that. That was the beginning. Don't do that. That's bad. That's dumb. And then it became, you have to wear a mask. And, you know, it just, everything it was a really, really difficult time. And then when things start opening up again, what does HR have to do? They have to go out and hire again. And um, the whole attitude towards work in the U.S. shifted in those two years. Whereas people used to see working from home as a, as a perk that maybe if I'm good enough and smart enough and work hard enough, I'll be able to get that. And it became this right. And then you had um, the fight for 15 really became a moot point as, as entry-level salaries rose rapidly, but far more rapidly than, um, than business income was coming. So now you have people that are demanding higher salaries you don't have money for it. You've got all these things, people you need to recruit, all these people you need to retain. And it's just, it's so, so, so stressful. Um, everything that HR has been doing since the beginning of the pandemic has just been one giant ball of stress. And despite all of that, I give the profession as a whole an A plus on it because it was hard and in the most in most cases they pulled it off yeah i was just looking at the um labor participation rates and to your point about um wage inflation the labor participation rates from pre-pandemic to now it's down like 1.2 percent so on 160 million it's whatever the percentage is there so if and what we're seeing and this is just more from you know, from afar, so to speak, we're seeing, you know, wage compression in a lot of places, wage inflation, obviously, less employees, which makes their demands even greater, the ghosting of employees. And, you know, I, I look at the comments on your Facebook page and it's like, wow, you guys are suffering. It is. And the whole wage compression is a serious problem. And it doesn't seem like it should be like, if I'm making... $17 an hour because I have been here in this company for 10 years and I'm a star employee. And now the new hires are making 16. I should right. just be happy for them. 
but I'm not because I, I started out at 10 and now I had to work my bust my buns to get here. And, and now this person that's never worked before in their life is making almost as much as I am, or in some cases they're making more than I am. It, it's a, it's an employee relations nightmare and businesses literally can't afford to bump everybody up. And when you talk about, you know, labor the rates and things like that, you have to keep in mind that that's not cut evenly across all industries and across all levels. You know, I, I don't think we've seen a huge drop in CEOs out there and senior vice presidents of marketing. Those people still exist, but it's the, it's the entry level where we're having a terrible, terrible, terrible time recruiting and a terrible time retaining right now. Yeah, for um, and wage compression, because I've been doing this for a really long time, I've seen it go up and down with the economy, you know, when we have a hot sure. job market. And, and that's one of the, and I say this with, um, with some criticism of HR, if you're not well versed in compensation, and the economy goes back and forth, it's, you know, it's one of those things I find a lot of companies and HR folks don't really know when that's going on, the wage compression and the effects on the workforce. Well, it's a really difficult thing to master because, um, you know, if you're involved in compensation, the thing that you rely on in a compensation role is salary surveys. And right. you use that to do your analysis and you figure out and you take a job and you do an analysis and you figure out at what pay level it should be at. But it's based on old data. And that's fine when the economy is growing steadily, but slowly, that's great. When you have salaries rising rapidly, it's you can't rely on the spring 2021 salary survey to make your salary recommendations in summer 2022. It's just too, too much has happened in that time period. And so your comp people are behind. So even your experienced compensation people have to approach it from a different thing. And one of the things that's helping with that is more and more um, states and cities are requiring companies to post their salary ranges on their job um, postings, which then makes that information public and in real time. And then, of course, places like Glassdoor and salary.com where people are submitting their own data to it. But then, but those aren't perfect either. I never submit my salary to one of those. Um, you know, so how to, most people don't. So it's not a perfect thing. There are some of those tools out there, but approaching it is different today than it was two years ago. Yeah. And it's, um, and frankly, it's changing every quarter. Every, it's, yeah. Or daily almost. It's, it's changing daily. And um, it's a really complex, complex thing. And you're also fighting tradition and, you know, I said I came from pharma, which is a very tradition-based, old-school kind of an industry. And it continues to be. Um, they're slow in change um, on those things. Um, when, when you have this tradition of your rules that say, the maximum increase I can give you internally is whatever, 7%, 10%, whatever. So congratulations, you're promoted from marketing analyst to senior marketing analyst. Good job, Peter. Congratulations. Um, we're going to give you a massive 7% increase. And you say, well, if I go across the street, I can get a 20% increase. And right. but no, this is our policy. Right. And they expect that you'll stay. And then they're shocked every time when you leave. Yeah, and then they and, have to raise it to hire a replacement. And then the hiring bonuses, and you know, we're seeing that in in manufacturing. We're seeing it in trucking. I was in Bozeman, Montana, a, about a month and a half ago, and Taco Bell was hiring at twenty one dollars an hour. Yeah, it's like crazy, and you know, the, it's just. And frankly, if you if you don't have the revenues coming in, 
you know, as a small business owner is you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that, you know, I see people a lot of times being like, oh, it's just these greedy business owners. Like if you're saying that, sure, there are greedy business owners, but most companies run on very tight margins. Right. And, and fast food franchises are one of them, you know? Right. It's and uh grocery stores. Grocery stores. I worked in the grocery store industry. Um, I worked in HR for the best grocery store in the world, which is Wegmans. And I will love it till I die. Um, great company. But I, part of my job, I got the financial report on every store every day. Um, you know, it's, it's a slim margin business. Yeah. I was, I was shocked uh, probably about 15, 20 years ago when a grocery store owner said, you know, if we're doing two to 3%, we're doing great. Yeah. And which shocked me. Yeah. The small, the, the fast food franchises, you know, they make 10, $20,000 in gross per year. They're great. Yeah. yeah. That's why they have to have a lot of stores. Right. Yeah. Right. So the concept of, okay, I can just step in and increase wages is um, it, it's not that simple. And one of the things, um, I grew up in a town called St. George, Utah. And when I was there, there was about 30,000 people. Now there's over 100,000. Um, I'm kind of old, so I graduated from high school 31 years ago. So it's been a while since I've lived there. But my parents are still there, and, and three of my siblings are still there. And um, and it was always a retirement community. I mean, when I was there, it was a lot of old people. What we're seeing now is, is not only an increase in retirement rates coming, but when the pandemic sent everybody home, all of those people living in California were like, why should I be paying a fortune and all these taxes and whatever? And I'm going to move to Utah. Plus, they kept their schools open and everybody wanted their kid in school. So um, all of these people moved to California and I moved from California to Southern Utah. Massive increase in housing prices. Right. Everybody coming had a remote job. So that's fantastic, right? Because you're just bringing money into the community, except... If you're coming with your $200,000 Silicon Valley job, you don't need to go work at Taco Bell. And if you're a retiree, which is what the town was originally, you're not working at Taco Bell. They can't get people to work at any salary because it's people earning a lot of money from out of state on their remote jobs and retirees. Who's gonna be running the restaurants? There's just no money. You can't pay people enough because the housing prices have shot up to the point that you're even at $21 an hour, if you're at Taco Bell, you can't rent an apartment. It's right. It's a crazy problem. And, and St. George isn't the only town. There's a lot of towns in North Carolina and Florida that had the similar things happen of these people from New York and Chicago and, and you know, San Francisco moved to somewhere cheaper raised everybody else up and is having a negative impact on labor market. Well, on top of that, we're also seeing in the labor market a lot more uh, volatility or I don't know if rebellion is the right word, but it's you, we have a lot of uprising going on within the labor market. And I'm <laughs> sure you've been seeing Starbucks and Amazon and, and et cetera. And to be honest, it couldn't happen to nicer companies. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a horrible person, I know, but um, I'm not a huge fan of unions in general. But Starbucks and Amazon both put themselves out as, hey, we are for the people. And so the people said, okay, you're for us. Why are you treating us terribly? And especially, well, Amazon is different than Starbucks. But... Um, Starbucks used to have a really good reputation for their employees, but they didn't keep up. They were riding off that reputation for a long time. And the nature of Starbucks political statements made people that who were more in tune with labor movements, more interested in 
working there and that is what the reward that they won and it's crazy it's crazy watching starbucks unionize right and left and then amazon if amazon doesn't have the money to fight against unionization who else can do it and an apple store just unionized right. i mean that's it's it's crazy well so having been in labor relations forever um I, I was puzzled at first with Starbucks, although they are more progressive and their employees are more progressive. Um, but there's a couple statements made early on in their campaign of when the employees were sending letters to the CEO at the time. You know, we're not really upset with the company. We love the company. We want to make it a better company. We just want a seat at the table. And I was like, well, why would you pay union dues for that, so to speak, just a seat at the table? And then it started coming out where they're short-staffed, they're having the menus change. Then it became, okay, they're upset because it's the typical things that cause unionization. Their managers aren't talking to them or their HR people aren't responding. And then you started seeing the, you know, okay, so it's not the pretty green lady on the sign anymore. It's They actually have issues that normal employees have, so to speak. And they just didn't keep up. I don't know if it's just due to the pandemic or they just got lazy. I think it's a combination. I mean, the pandemic didn't help anybody. I mean, Starbucks makes a ton of money on people going to work. Right. And if if you're working in your bedroom, why are you going to get dressed and go to Starbucks? I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't know why you'd want to pay $7 <laughs> or $10 or whatever it is for whatever they're serving. I don't even know. But now your stop on your commute that was just a convenience is a real effort to go. So that's definitely got a part to it. But I think that they did just get lazy. I mean, I mentioned I, I cut my teeth in at a grocery store chain um, that is not unionized, Wegmans, who, as I said, I love, I will always love. But part of my job there was to analyze union contracts for our competitors and make sure that we exceeded them for our employees. They had their anti-union strategy was to just be better than any union could offer. Which is an age-old strategy. Yeah. And it offer worked. equal to or better than a union and people are going to be wanting to pay union dues. Exactly. Um, and so... There's, I mean, I left there a long time ago, but they're still not unionized and they're growing like crazy and they're still always in the top 10, if not the top five of the Fortune's top 100 companies to work for. Um, but that was their strategy when I worked there is that we looked at all of the competitors, every other grocery store, this is when they were expanding into New Jersey, which is a huge union area. Right. Um, and all the other grocery stores were unionized. And we went with a fine-tooth comb over those contracts, and we made sure that we beat them on everything. Right. Everything. Well, then the other half of that is making sure the employees understand that. Yes. Right? Yes. And um, when I was there, they absolutely did. And um, that was, um, we would hear back that union would contact our employees and they'd be like, go away. Right. <laughs> Why would I want to talk to you? You know, that's one of the things I found with a lot of companies. Um, they do a very good job of doing just what you say, you know, making sure that you're equal to or above whatever the union quote scale is, but they don't promote it well enough with the employees. And so the employees don't understand what they've actually got to lose. They don't. And, you know, this was an interesting thing that kind of blew up in um, Starbucks face. I want to say Starbucks, but you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. When they made some statement, which is an absolutely true one, which is if you unionize, your health insurance might be better or it might be worse. Right. And, and people took that as a threat. It's not a threat. It's reality. Um unions, people join unions to better their, your own self, but union leaders are there to make money themselves. And, and that comes from getting people to pay them. And 
it, it's it's like they try to say this is this anti-capitalist thing. It's not. <laughs> it's just a different group of capitalists. That's true. I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. It's well, unions are a business. Their business is to provide a service and they get paid right. for their services. And and the top people at unions get paid very well. And right. I don't have an opposition to that. I mean, people always throw a fit when they release like, oh, the head of the American Heart Association or whatever makes $400,000 a year. That's a charity. Why should they do that? Like, because they need someone that knows how to run a business and you're not going to get someone that knows how to run an organization of that size for $79,000 a year. It's just not going to happen. You know, if you want someone to do the job, you've got to pay for someone to do the job. So I don't have any problem with that is if that's what it takes to to run a union or to run a charity or whatever because you need someone that knows what they're doing you know i've been surprised a little bit on your facebook page of the amount of and it's not a ton of them but there's a there's a number of hr folks who are pro-union and unabashedly so um, yes, and I'm not entirely sure that they're all real HR people. They may have lied a little bit to get in there, but some of them clearly are. Um, and there's a bunch of folks that are part of this anti-work movement um, and this concept that, you know, my existence should entitle me to money. Right. Uh, which is not generally very compatible with HR life. Um, because part of HR is managing people out. Um, if you're not being productive, if you're not making money for the company, then you should be gone. And that's, that's a reality. Yeah. Well, and with the, with the folks that are pro union on there, it, kind of, it, to me, I marvel at it because really, if you've got a bunch of employees that want to unionize in one way, shape or form, HR has not done their job correctly. And, and then what are you doing in HR? I, I think that that is absolutely correct. And anybody who is in HR and who has worked with unions will tell you that it's so much more difficult than it is to work without them because you've got this middleman on everything that you do in relationship to the employees. Yeah, and you're right that companies can do this stuff and if they're not communicating well, then the employees don't know, I mean, it sounds cliche, you don't know how good you've got it, but they don't know how good they've got it. Right. And, you know, part of that also is they're not checking the pulse of the relationship with the employees, whether it's attitude surveys or just even monkey chimp or whatever the survey monkey. <laughs> survey monkey? Is that what yeah, it's, it, I think what, whatever the little automated thing, you could do little mini surveys yeah, yeah, yeah. on your phone. You yeah. Know, how are we yeah. doing? And not enough companies are doing that. And they're taking it. I don't want to say they're taking advantage of, but they're just not keeping up with what's going on on the streets and they're not and they are ignoring um they're ignoring the the low-level employees mm -hmm. in favor of their corporate people and this is something that i see happening a lot as businesses grow that now those of us at the top, those of us in the corporate office, we have all the perks that we could possibly want and life is great. And what's wrong with you whiners? Everything is great here, but they're not listening to the people on the front line. And this is something that I found fascinating in my group. One of my big things on HR is if you're in HR for manufacturing, retail, um, restaurant, whatever, healthcare, where the bulk of your employees have to be on site. So I'm not talking about, oh, you're working for Deloitte, you know, where everybody can work from home. That's a different situation. But you're working for a company where the majority of your employees have to be on site. There is no working at home if you're a grocery store shelf stocker. There's just, you got to go right. in. Right. Then my thing is HR needs to be there. And the pushback that I get from HR people is amazing. 
And I'm like, this is how you lose connection with your employees. Because here I am, I have an office job, you're on your feet. And I'm working from home because it's too stressful for me to commute. I'm making twice as much money as you are or more, Um, but it's too stressful for me. I'm staying home um, and I'm taking time off to go to my, take my kid to ballet or whatever. And it starts to become this us versus them attitude instead of we're all a company. I think it's really important for HR in those types of companies to be there walking the floor. So part of the problem, and, I, and I've noticed this over the last 20 years or so, I'm a little bit older than you, so I've been around unions since the early 80s, but, um, and I came out of the union movement, so, you know, last 30, close to 30 years on this side of the aisle. Um, one of the things I noticed probably around 20 years ago is the role of HR has morphed into more of a policy slash keeping up with payroll, keeping up with all the stuff behind the computer screen as opposed to going out on the floor, walking the floor, talking to people. And the more kids coming out, and I'm going to say kids, they don't have a good employee relations sense to them. And I don't know if they stop teaching it or they just don't realize that that employee relations component is part of their job. Well, it is part of some of their jobs and not others. HR has become very specialized. And so it's Mm -hmm. in those smaller companies where it's the HR team of one or two, where you've got all the hats on. I got to do compensation. I got to recruit. I got to be on the floor. Uh, I got to do employee relations. Um, I've got to be the business partner. I've got to do all of that at one. Those people are more in tune. But when you have the specialization, and you know, I, I I worked in big pharma. I was specialized. I was very specialized in what I did when I worked in big pharma. Um, I never once even visited one of our factories. Um, it just wasn't in in my role, and so it can be very easy to to become that way. And I think there is a disconnect. And when you said they're not getting that proper training. A lot of HR people come into HR from other jobs and don't have formal HR training. That's true. And um, I was talking this morning with a um, with a new uh, startup that's looking at doing um, learning and development software for um, small businesses. And their target audience first is the U.S., even though they're oper- operating in Europe. And he said to me. You know, I just find American HR to not be as as educated and up to date on HR as Europe is. And part of that is, and, and when I say Europe, understand that there's, I don't even know how many countries there are in Europe, 30, something like that. Very different laws, very different cultures, all of that. But in a lot of places in Europe, they're not flexible in their jobs. So if you have been in marketing and you say, gosh, I'd really like to transfer over to to HR, you've got to quit your job, you have to go back to school, you have to obtain the HR certificate, Mm -hmm. and then you can start applying. Whereas in the US, you can be like, oh, look, I have these transferable skills, and if you can get someone to hire you, great. Um, And the result of that is good and bad. It's good for HR to have people with line experience, with experience in other areas, then we can support better. But it's bad because they don't know the basic laws. They don't know the basic things that you need to do. They don't know how to conduct an investigation when someone comes and says, um, hey, this is thus and such. I mean, we just saw the EEOC just announced a lawsuit against Hobby Lobby. And keep in mind, anytime you announce a lawsuit, you're giving very one-sided information. And Hobby Lobby is being quiet because that's what you do when you're being sued is that you shut your mouth until it's over. But the EEOC is saying an employee suffering from PTSD um, wanted to bring in a service dog and they fired her. And anybody with HR 101 knows that a service dog is covered under the American Disabilities Act and you need to go through the interactive process. You don't have to accept a service dog. There are jobs where you absolutely cannot have a service dog. Um, you know, if you're working in a, 
in a clean room situation, you can't work there with the service dog. Right. Um, and the one statement Hobby Lobby did make was that part of this woman's job was to unload the truck and they didn't feel it was safe to have a dog out on the ramp. I don't know what the true story is. We probably will never know because they'll undoubtedly settle out of court. But it looks like from the EEOC's announcement that they didn't go through any interactive process. They just said no. And I think that comes from having untrained HR that just, no, we're not going to do it. Well, and then it changes a lot too. So if even if you've gotten some training, it could change with a case that's gone through the litigation, right? Yeah. I mean, one of my um, favorite lawyer pals, Jeff Novak, um, who writes FMLA Insight, his whole job is one law. Yeah. The Family Medical Leave Act. I mean, I'm, he's certainly up to speed on a zillion things, but that is his area of expertise, and it's constantly changing. And yeah, for that, for, that was a law that has had some unintended consequences. I think um, FMLA. Yes, many, many, many. Um, not all good. Right. Um, not all bad either. Prone, prone to abuse is what I've usually heard. Yeah. And um, there are some people that abuse it. There are some companies, though, that are not following it and acting in an abusive manner on the other way. But, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes that one person in the department, um, their doctor requests, you know, approves them for and they get granted. Um, intermittent FMLA. So you can take time off as needed based on whatever your doctor said. And then suddenly three, four or five people within the department all have conditions that require intermittent FMLA. Right. And the company is limited in how much pushback they can do. If, if you think that there aren't sleazy doctors out there, you're wrong. I mean, there's sleazy everything. There's no profession that's like, oh, this is where the holy people are. No, there's just not. Right. So um, back except to for H- HR bloggers. <laughs> except for HR bloggers, that's right. <laughs> there, so back to today's HR, the other thing I've noticed over the last 20 years, is, especially with bigger companies, is where they're off-siting the HR department the entire HR department. So then you really don't have HR. Like I I was going to ask you with your pharma job, you're out of corporate or wherever you're from, you didn't visit the plants, but did they have HR in the plants? They did. They had HR in the plants. Um, um, I did, well, I did a bunch of different things in that company, but I started out in um, HR data and in that company and I managed all of the domestic HR data. And I spoke or emailed daily with the HR plants, with the HR managers in the plants. Um, And they were very active on-site, walking the floor kind of people. Right. And of course, you know, I started working there in, in 2001. So, you know, nobody was working at home then. Of course you're there. Of course you're walking on the on the floor as your as every day that's just of course that's how you do it it's just now i think more and more people want to work from home and like you said if companies are outsourcing well if you're going to outsource to some call center in cincinnati then why do i need to be there on the floor that doesn't make any sense if if you're okay with outsourcing why can't i work from home um but until, I, until George on line two, down in the back of the warehouse, can't get his answers, you know, it can't get answers to his HR questions or his benefit questions, and he's called the 800 number, but nobody knows, because then he just gets ticked off and goes back to line two and works and grumbles to all of his coworkers. Exactly, exactly. And that is a huge problem that's going to come around and bite businesses in the behind um, because HR needs to be there. And I really think that, you know, I've had a lot of people argue to me, well, they can call me, they can message me anytime. 
it's so much different to have to go and call someone than it is to see them walking past you and you go, uh, hey, Peter, can you help me for a second? I have a question. Right. That's such a different attitude and it's a different experience. And I think businesses are shooting themselves in the foot in, in separating that. I am not a huge fan of outsourcing the employee relations side of HR. There are some parts of HR, which I don't have any problem outsourcing. Um, you know, benefits administration is something that a lot of employees have a lot of questions on, but it can also be done well with, um, you know, with a script that a call center agent has. If you still have someone on site to handle the really complicated things that your person with the script can't handle, you know, your, your standard question of, um, you know, why was my prescription denied that, that type of thing, they can look it up, they can answer your question and move on with life. But I have a baby in the NICU. What do I do now? <laughs> you need right. a little bit more of a personal touch. Right. Or, or payroll administration. That's, you know, that's outsourced almost everywhere. Yeah. yeah and, and especially but, payroll with, um, with people working in multiple states now and more businesses crossing lines and more businesses with people working from home because you're subject to the payroll laws of the state in which you work. So when everybody was working on site, that was easy enough. Um, but now that people are spreading out, it really makes sense to outsource payroll to somebody who understands all 50 states and every city within those 50 states that has that expertise. Right. But the problem comes in when the payroll is entered incorrectly or it just doesn't, you know, the employee gets shorted on the check and then they go to find somebody who can help them and nobody's around. And especially if we have second, you know, English is second language that gets complicated with the call centers. And yeah, so then they just give up and then they get frustrated. And, and that is so important. The whole English as a second language people, um, you know, and here I am, I'm sitting in Switzerland. Um, English is my native language. I do speak pretty good German, but I'm not fluent. And there are technical things that I don't know. And so while I have no problem teaching Sunday school in German, which I do do, or having a conversation with my neighbor or my kid's school teacher, when I go to the doctor, all my doctors speak English. That's one of my priorities because it's complicated and it's not something I want to make a mistake on. Right. Um, and, and when you're dealing with delicate health insurance questions or something with FMLA compliance, you know, there are call-out procedures that a lot of companies have. You don't want an employee to lose their job because they didn't understand the call-out procedures because the information was available in English and Spanish and they speak Vietnamese. Right. Yep. Seen that. Yeah. The, yeah. The, for, for HR folks, and I, I guess the easiest way to impart this is employees are always looking for somebody to advocate for them. And if you're not that advocate, they turn outside, which brings us back to the whole union discussion. Right. And people love to point out that the job of HR is to support the management. And that's not true. It shouldn't be true. It sometimes is, but it shouldn't be true. The job of HR should be to support the business, which means doing the right thing, which sometimes means taking the side of the employees and understanding that without the employees, you don't have a business. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately there's, um, and this is, I'm not saying this is a blanket statement, but there are some HR folks out there that are afraid to confront the supervisor, the manager ops people when they make mistakes. And so then they just get rolled over and the employees view HR as well. You're siding with management. Absolutely. Absolutely. That happens. But also there are times, and this is always the case. HR is never the final decision maker. It's, 
always the management that's the final decision maker. All HR can do is advise. And so you may have an HR manager that is in there, you know, completely advocating for the employee. And the CEO goes, no, we're going to do it this way. And then the HR manager's option is to get on board or to quit. Right. And, um, you know, as much as we like to talk about there being a, um, a lot of open positions and all that, there's a lot of positions making under $20 an hour right now. There's a lot of manufacturing positions. There's a lot of jobs at Taco Bell right now. There's not a huge number of HR manager jobs out there. Um, I know because I watch people applying and it takes six to nine months to get a new professional level HR job out there. So it's not so easy to stand up and say, no, I'm going to advocate for the employee. And if you say, no, I'm just going to walk out and work for the competitor. No, you're not. Yeah. Well, and it's not necessarily the CEO level that I, I see the problems with. It's where the supervisors or the manager right above um, kind of dictates to HR. And sometimes it's just the HR gets tired and they don't want to fight anymore because they're always fighting management you know, to do what's right. Well, and that's true too. But again, ultimately it's the manager's decision on what to do. And managers love to blame things on HR. Oh, well, right. HR wouldn't let me do this. Right. Although to be fair, sometimes it is HR that won't let them do that because say, no, you know, our policy is no more than a 7% raise. Sorry. Yeah. Not going to sign off on it. Not going to put it in the payroll. You can't do it. Um, you know, and ultimately you could go up the ladder higher and higher and get the CEO to sign off on it, but a manager is not going to fight back. You know, a, a line manager is not going to try to get up to the CEO in a 30,000 person company. They're just not going to do it. And the CEO is not going to listen to them anyway. So there's, there's bad HR and there's bad managers. And when the two come together, it's, um, it's bad. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question. What is your opinion on open door policies? And I don't, this is kind of a setup question because I have my opinion, but. <laughs> uh oh, no, I, I'm really. Well, nervous. so understand that, you know, for 25, almost 30 years, my job has primarily been going into companies where something's broken, right? Across the United States, it's. It, whether it's HR, it's bad supervisors. I always get the worst of the worst, seems like, in my profession. But um, I've always, I was told this many years ago, and I've kind of lived with it since. But hey, open door policies, it's, everybody says we've got an open door policy. Let me tell you about an open door policy. Once upon a time, in the days before Me Too happened, there was an HR manager at NBC mm. and her office was in the middle of the news floor. And at this point, Matt Lauer was being exceedingly sleazy. And you can Google that if you don't know already. And you know, if you're over 18, you can Google that. <laughs> um, and yet theoretically, nobody reported it to her. And you say, why? She was right there on the newsroom floor. Her wind, she had an office, but it was glass floor to ceiling. Mm -hmm. So everybody could see when she went in, when you went in. So are you going to walk into an entirely glassed office to complain that this star is sexually harassing you? You're going to break down, you're going to cry in a glass office and you could say sure she can lower her shades and then everybody knows oh so right. in there because you're right there so the act of having an open door doesn't fix a problem it's how you treat it is this something that is having an open door meaning i will be there and meet with you and talk with you or does it mean yeah i have this policy but whatever yeah, the, I was told many years ago by a mentor, and this is proven to be the case, um, the people that use open door policies will be the same ones who would break down the door if it were closed. So <laughs> companies, when they rely on their, you know, why didn't nobody told us we have an open door policy, 
it doesn't really work. You've got to go out and reach out to the employees or dig deeper. Yeah, you've you've got to build. This is one of those things that you have to build relationships, and and when everybody is working from home, building relationships is ten times harder than when you're there face to face, because if you're there face to face, you know you're you're the labor guy, I'm the HR employee relations person or whatever. We don't talk. We don't have interaction 90% of the time. Our work doesn't, doesn't, you know, cross paths or whatever. But I'm going to see you in the office. You're getting a cup of coffee. I'm getting a glass of water or I'm getting my lunch or whatever. You're going to say, hi, I'm Peter. I'm going to say, oh, I'm Suzanne. We're going to chat. We're going to get to know each other. And then when I have an issue that I need the labor guy, oh, yeah, 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 that's Peter. And I can go straight to you. And we already have this relationship. We know that each other is human. Um, we know that we both like watching Stranger Things. I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but I do. Um, I'm assuming you do. Michael you does. Me. I haven't, but Michael does. What's wrong? <laughs> Mutual right. friend for the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we know each other. We, we have this relationship superficial as it is. It's not that, you know, I know your life story, you know, my life story, but I know that you're a human and you're a person and you're not the devil or whatever. So I can pick up the phone and and call you or walk down to your office. And that's so much easier. But when we're siloed and where everybody's working from home, I have to ask around, okay, I have a labor issue that I need the labor expert. Who is that? Or I look at the directory. Oh, okay. That's Peter. Does anybody know anything about him? You know, and I don't have any relationship with you. So it becomes very, very difficult because if we're starting a business thing and I don't know anything about you, I don't know if you're mean, if you're nice, if, you know, I don't, I know nothing. So it makes it very, very difficult. And sometimes people are just not going to do anything. And then from an employee standpoint, okay, I've been sexually harassed. I need to report this to HR. Do you know who my HR person is? Right. And then, oh, well, there's a list on the company directory. Okay, Suzanne Lucas. Do I know her? Can I trust her? If I report this, is she going to fix the problem or am I going to get punished? Am am I going to get retaliation? And they don't know. Right. How would they know? They never met me. And, And it can be a really hard thing to build those relationships of trust when we don't see each other and when our jobs don't require day-to-day interaction. I mean, I have great relationships with people that I've never met. Another mutual, well, Mike is a mutual friend. John Hyman is another mutual friend. Mm -hmm. John and I communicate almost every day and have for 10 years. Um, You'll constantly see him quoted in my articles because... Mm -hmm. I send John a message and in five minutes, he's given me a print worthy quote. (laughs) Right. He's amazing. Um, I've never met him in real life, but I consider him a good friend because we've spent 10 years building a relationship. It's very different than if I needed an employment attorney and I was like, okay, let me Google, you know, that's just going to be a different thing. Yeah. I I think, um, and I had a colleague who used this expression a lot, and, I, and this, and he was directing it at HR. He was a former Teamster official and had switched sides, so to speak. And he said, "You know, Lincoln once said, you can't manage a battlefield from your tent." <laughs> and his his statement, I don't know if Lincoln actually said that. It was attributed to Lincoln, but um, his statement. Put on meaning, the internet, so it has to be true. Yeah, that's right. His statement being, "Get out of your office, go out on the floor." You know, you can't sit behind your desk and expect people to come to you with problems. And that was, you know, combined with the people who use open door policies are the ones that break it down. So I've always had this somewhat disdain for that phrase. Well, we've got an open door policy. So it just doesn't work. It it works if you do everything right for it. Right. But yeah, if, if you don't, and I love that you can't manage that. It reminds me of, and I'm guilty of saying this. So 
you have a friend who's in the hospital, what are you saying? Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Right. Right. You know, or on how Facebook. That is? <laughs> on Facebook. Let me know right. if you need anything. Let me know if you need anything. In the comments. <laughs> Hugs. <laughs> right. And, and the, the thing is, is that when I say it, I genuinely, you know, if they, if they messaged me and said, Hey, you know, I need this, I would do it. I, it's not that I wouldn't do it, but it makes it really awkward. And that's one of those things that I've tried to do with my local friends. I mean, obviously people across the world, all I can say is, you know, I'm praying for you hugs or whatever, but you know, I had a local friend in the hospital and he was complaining about loud neighbor in the, in the hospital. And, you know, I messaged him. I said, Richard, can I bring you noise canceling headphones? You know, is there something that Mm -hmm. I can do to help you? And, and I needed to, he's never going to message me and say, Hey, Suzanne, can I borrow some $300 noise canceling headphones from you? He's not going to do that. I mean, am I perfectly fine with offering him my noise canceling headphones while he's in the hospital? Absolutely. No problems. You know, I'll help you do it, but he's never going to ask it. The, the help offer often needs to be proactive. And like I said with HR, oh, I'm there for you. If you're being sexually harassed, just give me a call. If, if you experience racial discrimination, and then you start to be like those late night commercials for pharmaceutical products. If you experience sexual harassment or racial discrimination, right. call this number. It's, it's not anything, but if I'm right there, and I have a relationship with you, then it's, hey, Suzanne, can I see you for a second? Yeah. And then that, because people are far more likely to report problems. And this is something I try to drill into businesses' heads. You want people to report problems. You want to report them. You want to know what's going on. So you can either fix it or you can choose to ignore it, but choose. Because? You can't. You want them to report because the next step is outside, right? Yes, the next step is outside. And and the other thing is, is that the government considers reporting much more casually than a lot of people do. So, um, you know, in the case of sexual harassment, I'm the HR manager or I'm your manager. I'm just your manager, right? I'm not an HR person, whatever. You come to me and say, Jane is driving me nuts. And I say, go back to work. What you've tried to do right there is tell me without, because it's hard to say, you know, Jane is pinching my behind, you know? And, right. and um, or if you say that, you know, well, Jane was making jokes I didn't like. That is someone attempting to report sexual harassment. The government's going to consider now that you've reported that. Am I, as your manager, did I clue into what you were actually saying? Maybe not. I don't go forward with anything. Um, You just said Jane was being annoying and said, what, she's telling jokes I don't like. Oh, well, lighten up. Mm-hmm. Work. Um, if you're not have your managers properly trained, if you're not your HR properly trained, the government considers that reported. We didn't do anything about it. Now we're in big trouble because Jane's now gone to the EEOC. Jane's hired an employment attorney. Or not Jane, you. <laughs> Jane was the harasser. Right. You've now <laughs> hired an attorney. Um, and even if the case is not worth anything, even if you made everything up, I still have a deal with your attorney. I've still got to pay outside counsel. It's so much easier if you listen when it comes up. Yeah. And and even if you settle, it's still going to cost you a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I mean, one of those things is that to fight an employment lawsuit costs a minimum of $50,000. Generally, it's more like $250,000. That's your attorney's costs. That's not their award. Right. So... When you see a company settle, that's the other thing. When you see a company settle, it's not necessarily because they're guilty. It's because they did a cost-benefit analysis, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper to give you a $25,000 award than it is to take it to court where I could lose. 
cost me $250,000 in attorney's fees, and then the court awards you $150,000. That can happen for something that, you know, could have been settled for 25, 30,000 bucks. Right, right. Suzanne, we've been on for close to an hour, maybe a little bit more. So we should probably wrap up, but let me ask you, what are some evil HR lady pearls of wisdom to leave with the listeners? <laughs> evil HR lady pearls of wisdom. Oh my goodness. Um, HR needs to be on the floor. That's my one pearl of wisdom. The other pearl of of wisdom is that HR's job is to help the business and that means doing what's right, whether that is for the employee or the manager or coming into compliance with something that nobody wants to be in compliance with. Um, it's about doing the right thing all of the time. I like that. On that note, thank you so much for coming on Labor Relations Radio. It was a pleasure to finally speak to you. I've listened to you. I've read you for years. So, and I'm going to put links to the um the blog, do you prefer the links to the blog or as well as the Facebook group? But do you, or do you like it to like Inc. Magazine and where you post? Um, link to the blog because everything I do will end up there. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Well, Appreciate thanks it. for having me. It was super fun. I, I would say happy 4th of July, except, well, happy 4th, not necessarily happy Independence Day in Switzerland, right? No, uh, no, of course it's not Independence Day for us. Our national, the Swiss national holiday is August 1st, though. But I am a red, white, and blue American. And um, if you'd like, I'll recite the preamble to the Constitution because <laughs> I grew up with Schoolhouse Rock. That's right. We just dated ourselves. Not like anybody else dated us. That works out. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, that was Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. Evil HR Lady. And as I mentioned earlier, um, if you're in human resources and not on her Facebook group, you should be. She's very good at answering questions. She has a team of HR experts that also help as administrators of the page. And in addition to that, I'll leave the link to her blog underneath. You can you can read her at Inc. Magazine as well as a number of others, but everything that she writes is also on her blog. In any case, I enjoyed the conversation with her. We covered a whole bunch of different topics, and I'm hoping to have her on at another point some point in time. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List, and if you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Under the audio portion of this episode, if you're on our Substack, or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Thanks for listening. Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.